God praise one more time, amen, for that worship this morning. It's always good to come into the house of the Lord, always, and worship Him. He is the recipient of all our praise, and so, so good to see you here. I want to add my word of welcome to all of our guests this morning and just tell you it's a blessing to have you here today, and I hope you are experiencing the love of Christ that flows in and through His people. And so, we have been in a series, we're in week two of a series uh, on the great I am statements of Jesus. And Jesus, um, I've said before that um, God is the only one who has the right to be about himself. You know that? Like, he's the only one. We don't have the right to be about ourselves. Now, many times we are about ourselves, but it doesn't make it right. Uh, and so, but God is the only one who has a right, I guess you could say, to toot his own horn uh, and uh, be about himself. And God's always been that way. Uh, and uh, God's always existed. And so basically, the beauty that we see in the Godhead of God being one God in three persons is that all we're basically pointing back to God in the Godhead. So we've got God the Father, who is God, and of course He loves uh, the world so much that John 3.16 says He gives His only Son Literally, the incarnation fleshed out. He came to us in the form of flesh and dwelt among us. And the disciples said, we beheld his glory, John said in John chapter 1. Uh, and so the Son comes bearing witness of the Father, literally being the Father in the flesh to us. And then the Son, before he leaves, uh, says that he's not going to leave us alone, that he's going to send the Holy Spirit who is the third person of the Trinity, uh, that he is God, uh, basically himself. Uh, the Holy Spirit is God through the Holy Spirit. So one God in three persons. And then Jesus in his lifespan, that's what we're looking at in the ministry of Jesus. And it's some three, three and a half years of ministry. We're looking in the book of John. And uh, John was one of his beloved disciples. And they had a, a really tight relationship, uh, the two of them had, and, um, and had a brotherly love there for one another that was just mighty and amazing. So John basically, as one of the disciples who, as he's going alone, he doesn't have it all figured out, but he wants to figure it out. And that's the way it is with you and I. We don't have it all figured out in this journey with Jesus, but there should be a want to, there should be a desire in us uh, to know more and to figure out more. And so John is that disciple that we see even as Jesus is going through his hardest moment and approaching the cross, that John is there where Peter denied him. Uh, John is there, but he's at a very close distance. In fact, one time having to flee even naked from that situation um, uh, of following Jesus being so close, but having to flee, uh, losing his coat for fear of the persecution and all. So today we're in John chapter 8, verse 12 through 30. Last week we looked at Jesus, the first I am statement, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. I am the sustenance that you need in order to make it in life. So Jesus is very clear. He continues this conversation, and it's a very important conversation because he is continuing this conversation for all men, but in this particular instance, he is continuing this uh, 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 conversation at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, and he's continuing it with these Pharisees because these Pharisees, for the most part, that he's dealing with are the most blinded. They think they're the most knowledgeable, and they do seem to be up here mentally having a grasp of things, but they are missing God entirely, and they're missing God in who He is, and they're missing God, and He's right before them. How many of you know God can be right there with you or before you trying to speak to you, and you absolutely miss it because you've already drawn a conclusion in your own mind? 
And so that's where these Pharisees find themselves, is that they have already drawn a conclusion uh, about the Messiah they want, the Messiah they're looking for, and God stands right before them through Jesus, and here he is trying to emphasize again that he wants them to understand who he is and who has sent him and his identity. And so the takeaway this morning is Jesus is the light that removes all darkness and doubt pertaining to the truth about God. And so there are those out there today that believe mentally in the concept that there's a God. They believe he had a, they, they believe he had a son named Jesus. Many, but many believe that Jesus was just a, a prophet and has no more authority than other prophets. Uh, many believe that they'll take that he's the son of God, but they struggle with believing that he is God. And the Pharisees and the, and, and the scribes and the uh, high priest had the hardest time with that when Jesus would declare not only was he the son of God and the messenger of God and the Messiah, but he was God in the flesh. Drove them absolutely bananas, and so here Jesus comes back again declaring that, and John has written the entire book, all the miracles, all the I am statements, these things have been written that you might believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That Jesus is the Son of God, God in the flesh to us. And so he dispels all darkness um, pertaining to the truth about God. So Jesus is described as the light 22 times, this terminology light, in the book of John. Uh, the light of the world is a clear messianic title of Jesus. Isaiah, we see Isaiah declare in 49 uh, verse 6, I will make you as a light, he says, for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Now this title serves to identify Jesus as the one and only true Son of God. He's not just one of the prophets as Islam teaches, and, and, and Muhammad's a greater prophet because he was later. That's not what the Word of God teaches. It's very possible as Jesus was speaking here in the beginning of chapter 8. We'll start in verse 12 here in a minute. But it's very possible at the beginning of this conversation, as they were continuing these conversations, it's very possible that it was the morning time at the beginning of chapter 8 and that the morning sun was beginning to rise and, very, and shine very brightly. How many of you know this is the time of year? I think it's brighter. Like it's beautiful. The skies have been beautiful. The Bible says that the heavens declare his handiwork. But how many of you know what I'm talking about when that sun comes up and it is literally blinding? You have to stop the car, right? Or you will run over somebody. I mean, I'll drive down my street at certain times, uh, and it's usually in the afternoon for me, but the sun is so penetrating that I have to stop the car. The only way I will not stop the car is if the cats are running across the road. And I just keep going. I'm joking. All right. So for all the cat lovers, but you literally have to stop. You're, in, you're like, I could run over somebody. I tell my kids, stay on your side of the road if you're riding your bicycle, right? And, and get move over when someone's coming because you, you cannot see. It's, it's blinding. And so as the sun is coming up and it's penetrating the S-U-N, Jesus uh, is, is here as the S-O-N. And so the Jews, the sun was a symbol to the Jews. The S-U-N was a symbol symbol to the Jews, Psalm 84 to 11 says, a symbol of God. So, so the Jews understood, just like we understand when we look at our galaxy, there's only one what? There's only one sun. There's only one S-U-N. But now here's the deal. Nobody struggles with debating that there's only one S-U-N. The debate comes over the S-O-N. And so all of this is tying together to where Jesus wants them to see that there is only one S-O-N, just like there is only one S-U-N, but the S-U-N cannot change you from within. Only the S-O-N can set you free. Amen? 
And that's what he's teaching here. And so he's wanting them to know who he is, what he can do for them, and obviously all men to know that. And so um, a man can have the physical sunshine on him like we do, and we have over the past few days, every hour, every minute, every second of the day, and it will not wash away the filth of sin that exists internally in every human being. And so there's a tendency that goes along with pride, and we see pride in the Pharisees, and the tendency is when pride sets in, no man wants to look at his own self or his own sin. And that's what you find in the Pharisees here is that they were always not looking at themselves saying, God, what do I need to do? They were looking at others. Even one account that came later on down the line uh, that, some, that translations say that was not in the early manuscripts, but evidently it did happen to where the adulterous woman was brought by these Pharisees before Jesus, and it ties it in context in your Bible there uh, with this story about these Pharisees bringing this woman. And she was full of sin, and she was an adulterer, and they actually did, they cared nothing about this lady. They cared nothing about her darkness, her discouragement, her depression. They cared nothing about her bad choices. And her finding Christ, they wanted to catch Jesus in a trap, and they were condemning her in the process. And, of course, we know that Jesus stooped down in the sand and began to, uh, to, to write. And we don't know what he wrote. Bible scholars believe in the context of that story that he possibly began to write their names, all the Pharisees, and write their name, and, and, and then put a column under them. And he began to just probably maybe list their sins. Something made them walk away in that account. Something gave them a cup of shut-up juice, as we call it, when the Spirit speaks to us in a strong way. They walked away one by one. Jesus said to the lady woman, where are thy accusers? And she looked around shocked, and she said, there are none. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Take sin seriously. Take sin so that you can walk in the light, you can walk in freedom. So in our text today, Jesus identifies himself as um, the only son who can remove darkness and give light and life to those who follow him. I want to give you his identifications, okay? It's the goal today in John chapter 8, 12 through 30. The first identification, and then we'll look at it in Scripture and break these verses down, is Jesus identifies himself as, here it is, the light of the world. There's no other light like him. Do you know we will not even need the S-U-N in heaven? Because we got the S-O-N. Do you know the S-U-N was breathed into existence in all its beauty that we see it by the S-O-N? Philippians says that he was there. He's always been with the Father. He literally was there and uh, creating the world. Jesus was in himself. The S-O-N is where we get the S-U-N. We never go to the S-U-N to get the S-O-N. We never go by our intellect. We never go by our study and ability of science, as many try to do, to find God or explain God. We start with God. God is the only one who always has been. He is, and he forevermore will be. You'll never find him searching by manly or worldly methods trying to get to him. You'll never find him in philosophy trying to get to him. In fact, many that were so wise in the mental intellect, intellect and philosophy trying to figure him out and put him in a box wound up taking their own life because they couldn't figure him out. And so we have to start in faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. And Jesus identifies himself as the light of the world. Look at verse 12a in John chapter 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world, he says. I want to stop right there. The context of the events in this paragraph, I said, continue to be the temple, around the temple setting during the Feast of Tabernacles. And so not only did the Jews and the Pharisees understand the S-U-N was the only son in the galaxy, uh, and they saw that as a symbol of God, they also would come to this time of Feast of Tabernacles, and they would do what we would call a candle lighting, but they would do a lighting around uh, at this time of the Feast of Trumpets. 
and, and around the temple. And they, they looked to that light. They were looking for, I guess you would say, the light, or some would say the enlightenment of what God, who God was going to send as the Messiah. They were looking forward to that day. But they were looking, anchoring that based on their mental understanding and knowledge. And God, the light, Jesus, the light of the world, is standing right before them trying to tell you, uh, I'm, you, you can blow those candles out. I am that light. Uh, I'm here. There's not another Messiah who's coming who is greater than I. I am the only one who can remove the darkness in your life. He identifies himself as the light of the world. The second identification is Jesus identifies himself as the key to leaving darkness. To leaving darkness. It's amazing how we try so many things or many different avenues, people try to leave darkness. The darkness of their sin, their guilt, their addiction. Um, their lack of understanding. They, we search for all kind of different ways and, and avenues to deal with the darkness inside of us, to deal with the emptiness inside of us, and there's a darkness there. And Jesus says, I am the only key to leaving true darkness. No matter if it's the darkness of, uh, for the believer, the valley of the shadow of death that's coming at us. Jesus is the only one. He's conquered death, hell, and the grave. If it's the darkness of discouragement, if it's the darkness of depression, no matter what it is, he said, you will have tribulation in this world. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I've come to remove the darkness. I will walk through this time with you, through the darkness. And so Jesus identifies himself as the key to leaving darkness. Look at 12b there in, uh, the, in, the, in verse 12, the second part of that. He says, after he says, I'm the light of the world, whoever follows Follow a key word here. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The light of life. Jesus himself. Now, the water of life, here's what he's doing in his first two I am statements. The water of life and the bread of life are metaphors that represent what satisfies and, as I've said, sustains us. And so the light of life, the metaphor stands for what dispels the darkness and ignorance and death. So even though the Pharisees claimed to be the wisest and to know the law, they revealed that they were the most ignorant. Although Satan is mighty wise and we're no match for him in the flesh, he reveals his true ignorance by not submitting himself to God. You have to be pretty ignorant to be around God, get to lead people to worship God, and then not submit yourself to God because you want to be God. And know that your destination, and be told your destination is going to be hell forever. What a foolish decision. And so, but it's the light of life. Only Jesus can dispel the darkness of ignorance and death. Uh, and he was claiming, Jesus was claiming that whoever believes in, and that word where we get the follow word, whoever follows him will enjoy the light that comes from God's presence and the light that produces life. So, so that's what was going on in this context. The, 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 the SUNs coming up, they're preparing for the Feast of Tabernacles. They're having the lamp lighting ceremony every evening during the festival. A priest would come and light the three huge torches uh, and uh, put them on a lampstand. And, and, and you had the woman's courtyard there, the treasure of the temple. And these lights would illuminate the entire temple compound throughout the night. And, of course, all pointing to them looking for the, the true Messiah. And the true Messiah is right before them saying, if you would just die to the darkness of your pride, if you would just accept the one who is before you, if you would just quit getting hung up on your own traditionalism and your own understanding of the law and walk by faith and not by sight, you could, you could see the light. 
third identification he gives. Jesus identifies himself as truth. Look at verse 13 and verse 14 in this text. He says this, So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. They're looking right at God and saying, You are not true. But Jesus answers them, Even if I do bear witness about myself, because in the, in the Jews always had to have, that's why you see in Matthew, you always see two accounts given of a story or where there was witnesses, because that was part of the Jews and a part of what they believed in their law. So he says, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going, he says. And so they're having this conversation, and then Jesus says, I'm, I'm the light. I'm the truth you've been seeking. I'm the way out of bondage. I'm the way out of slavery. I'm the true light that the Old Testament pointed to because in the Old Testament, you, God's people were led by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud in the day. And Jesus is coming, just as Hebrews teaches, as the high priest, the mediator, the one to dispel all sin, the one to dispel all darkness. And he said, you're not going to need the pillar of fire by night. You're not going to need the cloud in the day. You're not even going to need the burning bush experience because I'm going to be inside of you through the Holy Spirit with what's coming up. And he's trying to teach them that. And he, as he would try to teach all of this, he says, I am the truth. Another statement, John 14, 6, that John goes on later, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but through me. A fourth identification, Jesus identifies himself as the judge. The judge, verse 15 and verse 16 in this text. Jesus says this, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I am, the I am the Father, I am the Father who sent me. You can say that either way. I am, you know, I am the Father who sent me, literally. Is he saying that the Father has sent me, uh, and he's saying I am God. He's not saying he's the Father, he's the Son, but he's saying I am God in that, and I have come. And so what he's talking about here is he's not saying, hey, I'm not going to judge you one day. He's saying I'm not going to superficially judge you as you are superficially judging me. And judging others. Wow. Well, isn't that a weird tendency that we have in our flesh to, 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 to judge others when we don't even understand maybe what is going on? We don't understand the big picture. We don't understand their circumstances. There's a tendency in man to, to judge. And these, these Pharisees were so judgmental. And Jesus is like, here, I'm not here to superficially judge you. <laughs> But later on, and he would tell them, and he would tell them many times in their life that, you know, one thing that he did, was able to do because he's God is he could see right straight through this outward appearance to their heart, and he knew their heart. That's why he called them whitewashed tombs, because they were so focused on the outside and their upkeeping of the law that he reminded them that, that man looks at the outside, but God looks at the what, church? The inside, the heart. That God looks at the heart. He can read our mail like he did the woman at the well like no one else. He can read our mail. What's the point, Pastor? Be careful to set yourself up that, that, that you don't make the mistake of setting yourself up as God to read somebody else's mail when that's only the Lord's right to do that. But also be careful that you don't try to be something that you're really not and impose that on other people in a hypocritical way when God knows exactly who you are in the heart. And rather than dealing with yourself, you try to deal with someone else. You try to catch God in a trap as the Pharisees did with Jesus. Well, he identifies himself as the judge. Fifth identification, Jesus identifies himself as God. Look at verse 17 through 20 as this is building up in the context. Jesus says to them, in your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I, I am the one who bears witness about myself. And here's his second witness he's saying. 
And the Father who sent me bears witness about me, he says. Verse 19, they said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour or his time had not yet come. Look at that. That is amazing. This is where we see Jesus in this uh, fifth identification, basically identifying himself as God and his, his, his union with the Father. Now, John starts John chapter 1 out uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in John 1 verse 4. And we said he uses the word light 22 times. He says in John 1, listen to this if you will, verse 4 and 5, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but then he says this, And the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has not overpowered it. He gives us, he gives us this is kind of a twofold meaning. He's saying that Jesus has come before these Pharisees and these people, and they're not understanding but it's their pride. But not only are they not understanding because of their pride, he's also given us encouragement here, as John the Baptist did, that this light is the only one, as John said, John 1, 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he's given us understanding here. The devil's not going to stop this light from shining. You can't stop the real light. When Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, and he was a great teacher of the law, and, and many of these uh, Pharisee people would come to hear him teach the law, and he had a great understanding of it, but here's what he did. He didn't allow his pride or his intelligence to dominate him, and so he went to Jesus at night because he knew and he had heard, and I think he had observed some of these miracles that John is talking about, and he goes to Jesus and he says, he says truly you've got to be sent from God. No man can do the things that have been done unless he is of God or he is sent from God. And then Nicodemus asked this next big question, which means this question and the answer to this question was more important than his own pride and his own intellect and his own ministry that he had built up around him with the people. He says, what must a man do to enter heaven? What must a man do ultimately to get to the Father? And Jesus says this, and he says it to all of us today. He says, you must be born again. You must be born again. Well, Nicodemus pondered that. Nicodemus opened up his heart to that. He opened up his life. He conversed with, conversed with Jesus. And he said, how can a grown man go back into his mother's womb a second time and be born again? And as we've said before, all the ladies ah, screamed, right? And it was hard enough when we were babies. But Nicodemus, he doesn't get it here. He's trying to get it here. The Pharisees are trying to get it here. They're looking back, and God's put right in front of them the, the, the key, the light to march them forward. And they, they are rejecting it. Because they can't in their own intellect figure it out. You, we don't come to God through our intellect and our intellect only. We come to God through the Spirit. Our spirit, as we've been talking about in the James study, James chapter 4, 7, our spirit submitting to the Holy Spirit as God draws upon our heart and our life. So that's how we come to God. But Nicodemus, basically, the beauty of that story is, is that once he realized it was spiritual transformation, once he realized it was the light entering darkness, and when the light enters darkness, Paul said there will be a transformation that takes place in your life. And in the Greek, metamorphosis is the word for transportation, uh, uh, transformation. And so basically he's saying you go from a caterpillar to a butterfly, and God, boom, gives you wings to spread and fly for the kingdom of God, basically. Please don't go and tell people the pastor at Smoke Rise preached that you're going to turn into a butterfly one day, okay? Because I promise you're not. 
If I did that, I'd probably hit a windshield today, all right? And that'd be the end of my life. So, but, but it means spiritually you're going to be transformed because light overcomes darkness. It dispels darkness. I'll never forget when the God, the Spirit, drew on my heart. And even as a child, I was in darkness. But I came to the understanding because of the conviction in my heart and my little spirit yielding to this still, small voice inside of me to, to, to say yes to Jesus and to acknowledge my sin. And to be serious about my sin. So great to see the hand and work of the Spirit through our little ones in our kids' ministry. I have the privilege to meet with them for week to week. And I encourage their parents as they're bringing because they're asking questions. That's a wonderful thing. And as Miss Alicia ministers to them, Miss Cindy ministers to them and passes them off and hands them off. And one of the things I want to make sure with them is that they, they, don't, just see, they don't just see baptism and, and following Christ and they understand the difference, but that they see basically not just it's a good thing to do, but that they see their own sin nailing Jesus to a cross. That's important. In fact, it's important for adults. Is it possible? It is possible because it's happened. It's possible that many adults came to Jesus at some point in their life, even if they might have been a teenager or a child because they knew it was a good thing to do. But what happened is they really didn't. It wasn't at the time of the Spirit's drawing, as we talked about last week in John 6, 44. It was the right thing to do. It was the visual before them. But it wasn't a drawing of the Spirit of the God because when it's a drawing of the Holy Spirit of God, there will be a conviction of sin. In our heart and in our life. So I can remember as being that young child, I can remember the weightiness of my sin. But I can also remember being overwhelmed by the love of Almighty God. That He would offer me salvation. That's an amazing, amazing truth of God's Word. He is, he is that. He is the light. He is God in the flesh. He is salvation. Sixth identification, and I'll give you one more real quickly. Jesus identifies His home. Look at verse 21 through 26. He identifies his home to them here. He says, so he said to them again, I'm going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Now, Jesus is God, and he sees what's going on within their heart. So the Jews said this, will he kill himself? Since he says, where am I going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world, he tells them. And then he tells them right here in verse 24, he says, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, aren't you thankful for that unless right there, by the way? That, hey, man, that's, that's what he's saying. I'm not judging you superficially. I'm telling you the truth because I am the truth. I'm telling you the only way to freedom. I'm telling you the only way out of your bondage of, of, your, of your sin and your dirtiness and your hypocrisy uh, and your pride is to allow the light of the world to come inside of you. And he says, that's what I'm telling you. He says, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That's a word for every person. Unless you believe, you will die in your sins. He didn't say, unless you have perfect church attendance, which God knows a lot could improve on that, right? But that's not what's going to get you to heaven. He, di he didn't say... You know what I'm saying? Un unless you do this and this and check off all your little lists. He said, basically, there is only one way to the Father, the same thing he told Nicodemus, and that is through Jesus Christ the Son. Hmm, thank you, Lord, for the unless. Unless. I remember having that conversation. The unless. When he called on my heart. 
even as a child. And by the way, immediately when God spoke to my heart, it was just like the enemy too. He came right in behind him, and that's the way this warfare deal is. Whether it's coming to Christ or whether it's trying to live for Christ as a Christian. And, it, and the two voices can even, you got to remember, the enemy is an angel of light. They can get real tricky and confusing sometimes, can't they? Which one's God? And that's why we have to seek the Spirit. That's why we have to stand on what we know is true. That's why we have to cling to it and, and, and say, God, show me. And so he goes on to say here in verse 25, so they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the word what I have heard from him, he says. And so this sixth identification, Jesus is identifying his home. This is not my home. <laughs> Can I tell you something? I'm going to identify we. This is not my home, this old world. I'm glad it's not my home. What God's got prepared for me is a lot better, amen? What God's got prepared for his people is a lot better, but he's left us so that others would make heaven their home through our obedience to point them to Jesus. Seventh and last identification as the band moves in place. Jesus identifies himself as an obedient son and the only source of our salvation. An obedient son and the only source of our salvation. Notice his obedience, if you will, right there in verse 27 through verse 30 as we look at it this morning. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father, the Father God, that is. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. <laughs> I think of the Roman soldier who was there, who basically physically was a part of his death and killed him. We were a part of it too. We killed him. Our sins literally is what he died for. And and yet the father willingly gave him, so he gave him up, or it never would have happened. No man took his life, he laid it down. But then what he, what he laid it down for is the responsibility of us, that we're responsible. And, and so he's saying, you'll see when the Son of Man is lifted up, then you will know that I am he. And the Roman soldier said, truly, truly, after the earthquake, after the, the veil was torn in the temple from top to bottom, Truly, this man is the Son of God. And he says, you'll know that I'm he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me, he says. Now look at verse 29. And he who sent me is with me. <laughs> he has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. <laughs> what a record. I wish I could say that. Nobody else can say that. Nobody else can say that. Think about that. Yet people will try to say that to God when they stand before Him. Not that they did everything right, but they'll try to focus on that their right was more than their own. <laughs> Missing the whole point. You cannot light your own world. You cannot in your good works, in your understanding of the law, you cannot light up your own world. You cannot save yourself. And no other prophet can save you. Christ and Christ alone. I always do the things that please him. And then look at verse 30 as we close it out. And he was saying these things, as he was saying these things, many, many believed in him. Many believed he was the obedient son. He proved his obedience all the way to the cross. Many believed that he was the only source of salvation. Many didn't just believe it here. They responded to the Spirit here. And they followed. To follow is not taking 
your spirituality casually. To follow is to be willing to die for Jesus. To deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. So you may be here today as you bow your head and you close your eyes. You may be like these Pharisees. You may be like these Jews. You may be like their ancestors in the Old Testament. You may be wandering in the wilderness of doubt and disbelief. You may be wandering in the wilderness of pride and arrogance. You may be enslaved today by sin. And, 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 and even though the Pharisees, they, wouldn't even, they, they didn't even think they hardly sinned. And they were in great sin. And you may be like that. You, well, I don't do this. I don't do that. I'm not addicted to anything. But you've got the, the sin of pride, the sin of disbelief. And God is calling you to trust in Him, and Him alone is the way to salvation. If that's your heart's desire today, I believe very possible the Holy Spirit may have spoke to some this morning when I said you may be an adult and you may have come to tried to come to God on your own knowing it was a good thing to do at some point in the past it, it, was, it was seemed like the right thing to do no one's hardly ever been in a church and looked at someone being baptized especially as a child as a teenager and said well that's a bad thing it might have seemed like the right thing to do but it may not have been the true drawing of the Spirit convicting you of your sin as Jesus said the Spirit would do. It may not have been a, a total transformation. It may not have been the dispelling of the darkness of your pride and sin and arrogance and, and, and basically everything that goes along with the package of our unredeemed flesh. And so today you may want to say, God, I want to make sure that I clearly respond to the drawing of the Holy Spirit that I truly am serious about my sins, that I'm turning from my sins. and I'm, I'm looking to you, Lord, as, the, as my salvation, the only true source and the author and finisher of my faith. If that's you, just tell him right where you're at. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I have many, many sins. And I want you to know that I'm broken over my sins, God. I want you to know that I realize that you died for my sins, God. I want you to know, Father Lord, that I understand that my sins, Father God, was the reason for the cross. And I want you to know that I know I should have bore the wrath of God because I'm the one who sinned. And Lord Jesus, I just want to say thank you for taking my cross. And I want you to know, I want you to come into my heart and life and be my Savior and be my Lord and be God inside of me through the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Can we give a hand clap for those who may have prayed that, amen? No matter where you're at, that's why. That's why we navigate. That's why we invite people every week. That's what we are to be doing so they can hear the precious Word of God and their life can be changed. As we stand very respectfully, the band's going to lead us in a song. Rich and the band's going to lead us. And so let's just be obedient. The altar's open. If you prayed that, come and share it today. Put it on that connect card. Just let us know and we'll tell you the next steps, okay? God bless.